We've been waiting for you. Come on in. It's Talk 10 Tuesday with Chuck Buck and Dr. Erica Reamer for June 13th, 2023. Dr. James Kennedy is substituting today for Dr. Reamer. Susie Vestovich joins us to report on delays in billings that are costing hospitals billions of dollars. Lori Johnson updates the coding news. Tiffany Ferguson covers the social determinants of health. Tim Powell is at the Tuesday News Desk, and Dr. Kennedy will provide our talkback segment. Now here's the publisher of ICD-10 Monitor, the host of Talk 10 Tuesday, and a man who says there's a lot to unpack here, and he usually means groceries, Chuck Buck. <laughs> yeah, that's so true, Clark. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the uh, 557th live edition of Talking Tuesday. Good morning, Jim. And folks, Dr. Jim Kennedy has been substituting for Dr. Eric Reamer now on four live Talking Tuesday broadcasts. And Jim, I want to publicly thank you again for all the great information you've been passing on to our listeners. Thank you, Chuck. It's so good to be with you today. Well, thanks again. And as you heard Clark Anthony announced today, Susie Vestovich from TUTEC is going to be talking this morning about how delayed billing is costing hospitals a ton of money. That's right. And it's going to be just a ton, not to mention the other cost of just practicing CDI coding to start with. Yeah, indeed. So, Jim, what's going to be your point of view this morning? We're going to go briefly over the second quarter coding clinic that came out last Friday and briefly talk about the Hopkins article in JAMA last week of the cost of CDI in the quality arena. And we have much news to report. And so we'll begin this morning with Jim Powell at the Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk. Thanks, Chuck. And today we're going to talk about the drugs that Medicare picked to help reduce drug costs for Medicare recipients. So in the third quarter of 2023, specifically from July 1st to July 30th, there are 43 drugs that are covered under Medicare Part B that will have their coinsurance rates adjusted based on an inflation-adjusted payment amount. This adjustment is relative only to those individuals enrolled in both traditional Medicare and Medicare Advantage and those who will consume these specific drugs. Depending on additional health coverage held by these individuals, this adjustment may result in a reduction of coinsurance payments they're responsible for and the savings that beneficiaries can expect to experience are tangible, with the coinsurance amounts potentially being lower than they would have been prior to the enactment of the new law. The range of these savings is quite substantial, varying from as little as $1 to $449 per dose. The range demonstrates the potential significant financial impact the new law could have on beneficiaries' out-of-pocket healthcare costs. This is great until you look at the 43 drugs that were selected. They do not appear to be the drugs that drain the pocketbooks of the elderly. And I was surprised to see the drug Humira used to treat psoriasis on the list considering how heavily it's been marketed. I was a little disappointed to see Vivitrol make the list and that Vivitrol, more commonly called naltrexone, is an opioid antagonist, meaning it blocks the pleasurable and rewarding effects of drinking. The controversy with naltrexone and drugs like it is that it's directly contrary to the last 90 years of information from recovery programs that the only solution to addiction is complete abstinence. There are so many drugs that Medicare recipients need and can't afford. Let's hope Medicare picks more wisely next time. And with that, back to you, Chuck. Thanks, Tim, very much. I was Tim Powell. Tim is a compliance expert, and he's also the national correspondent for ICD-10 Monitor. Folks, it is Tuesday. This is June 13th, and you're listening to the 557th Live Edition of Talked in Tuesday. Stand by, please. Consider the broad range of learning needs for everyone in your organization involved with healthcare: coding, reimbursement, compliance, 
outpatient and inpatient coders, billing staff, CDI specialists, auditors, and compliance officers, basically everyone. Now envision one place where you could satisfy all these needs through webcasts, ebooks, coding charts, premium news content, and more. The resources in this centralized hub would be accessible from any location, at any time, with any device, for one affordable price. Introducing the MedLearn Media Resource Center. At the MedLearn Media Resource Center, you and your team will have unlimited access to all the libraries of MedLearn Publishing, ICD-10 Monitor, and Rack Monitor, all in one centralized location. Subscribe today to the MedLearn Media Resource Center. Now's the time for the Talk 10 Tuesday Coding Report with Lori Johnson. And good morning, Lori Johnson. Good morning, Chuck. Good morning, Dr. Kennedy. And hello to our listeners. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, released the fiscal year 24 ICD-10 PCS codes on June 6, 2023. There is a net increase of 73 codes with a total now of 78,603 inpatient procedure codes. The largest increase is found in the new technology section, followed by medical and surgical section. You can see the changes by section in my article posted on ICD-10monitor.com. The, the body part key has been expanded to include appendiceal orifice for the appendix and intracranial portion of the middle men, meningeal artery for the intracranial artery and chin for subcutaneous tissue and fascia of the face. The following devices have been added to the device key. EV ICD system, Avir VR as single chamber, Flourish, which is a pediatric esophageal atresia device, Aortix system, Vanta PC neurostimulator, and Intellis neurostimulator. The substance key has added plasomycin under the anti-infective and angiotensin II Giapresa human angiotensin II synthetic under vasopressors. There are six new tables in the new technology section, including X05, which is the nervous system destruction, X2H, which is cardiovascular system insertion, X20, which is cardiovascular system supplement, XNR, which is bones replacement, XV5, which is male, product, male reproductive system destruction, and XX2, which is physiological systems monitoring. There are a number, or I should say, there are some minor guideline updates as well. Guideline B5.2B, which is titled Percutaneous Endoscopic Approach with Extension um, on Incision. And now it reads Percutaneous Endoscopic Approach with Hand Assistance or Extension of excision, Incision. The guideline was amended to include hand assistance and temporary exterioration, exteriorization of a body structure. The other guideline update is B61A, which is a general guideline, had the example removed. The increase in new technology codes leads me to believe 
that there will be a significant increase in new technology add-on payments. I will be reviewing the ICD-10 PCS codes, guidelines, and new technology add-on payments in the webcast on August 16th. And with that, back to you, Dr. Kennedy. Thank you so much. That was Laurie Johnson. Laurie is a senior consultant with Revenue Cycle Solutions in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Chuck? Thanks, Jim. And uh, thank you again, Laurie Johnson. And be sure to read Laurie Johnson's excellent reporting on that important topic. It's in today's ICD-10 Monitor. With the Talk 10 Tuesday report on the social determinants of health is our good friend Tiffany Ferguson. And good morning, Tiffany Ferguson. Good morning. Good morning, Chuck. Good morning, all. So today I'd like to deviate a little bit, and I'm going to talk about the power of collaborative multidisciplinary rounds, or huddle. So I'm going to use the two interchangeably a little bit through this, rounds and huddles, basically meeting in the hospital with the collaborative team, physicians, nursing, physical therapy, whoever your hospital identifies, and talk a little bit about the two components that are most important for successful rounds or huddles, collaboration and accountability. So how often do we see the following scenarios occur? Unit-based huddles occur with nursing, case management, and the physician advisor. However, the attending physician is absent because they just can't make it work. Uh, Maybe their assignments are not unit-based and thus being on one unit when their patients are throughout the hospital is not conducive to rounds or huddles. The second scenario is the physician is in attendance, but they come in, they run the list, and while, while they're doing that, everyone kind of just sits there and listens. The physician must then direct the team for responses regarding patient care needs or discharge planning needs. In this case, it's not uncommon that the physician or the hospitalist group has been voluntold that they are required to attend this daily meeting in an effort to speed up the discharge process. In both of these cases, the value of huddle to the physician is evident, minimally useful, and in some cases, they have found a way to completely avoid the process. So where does collaboration come in? When rounds are rolled out, what I typically see is a list of items that should be covered. However, I rarely see a discussion with each stakeholder group that dives into the value and worth of rounds to each discipline for people's time. The goal of rounds or huddles is to get all attendees on the same page, ensure an inline approach for patient communication, and share relevant information with the outcome of reducing intrusions throughout the day. The physician does not want to attend rounds, leave, and then get multiple texts, phone calls, and secure chats from the very same group of attendees that that they spoke to in the AM. Through a collaborative process, the care team identifies the intention of rounds, discusses discuss all patients for updates and progression of care, or only focus on up-and-coming discharges for preparations. In this case, the topics for progression for discussion will, slightly dif- will be slightly different. A simple way to ensure each member identifies their role in rounds would be to follow a plan approach. Plan for the stay is the physician. Plan for nurse plan for the day is nursing, plan for the way is case management, plan for the pay is that physician advisor or UM if they're attending, and plan for the say. How are we going to message this to the patient? That is credit to Dr. Maria Johar from Ensemble. Once patient, the 
purpose of rounds is established, the nice the next piece of the huddle uh, piece of the puzzle is to guarantee accountability of the stakeholders involved. Such phrases as "It's my first day on," "I didn't review any of my patients yet," "I just got here" are counterproductive to the process, and I have heard them all. Um, <laughs> So that's why they're included here, because we I think people can relate to that. Uh, at any given day of the week, it is each person's first day on. And that is why the rounds exist, is to help each member of the group get up to speed so they do not have to start from scratch and reinvent the care plan. Thus, coming to rounds prepared is critical. Case managers are charge nurses that have not reviewed their patients prior to or talked to the floor nurses um, to the report is is unacceptable. We need to be prepared and ready to contribute. If it's not possible to accomplish that in the time that rounds are, set the time a little bit later so that everyone can be coming to rounds prepared to, to make sure that meeting is accountable and helpful to everyone. During rounds, follow-up items and information is collected among members. This may be order changes or to-dos for the group. When members leave, the expectation is that these items and follow-ups are completed. This is going to ensure that only for, to alleviate that we don't have further intrusions later in, in the day. And that later in the day, we're, all we're doing is recapping on new discoveries or changes in the patient care plan. Back to you, Dr. Kennedy. Thank you so much. That was Tiffany Ferguson, the CEO of Phoenix Medical Management in Phoenix, Arizona. Chuck? Thanks, Jim, and uh, thank you again, Tiffany. Uh, by the way, be sure to read her article. It's an outstanding article. It's in today's ICD-10 Monitor. If you're having trouble reporting evaluation and management services, ENM, you're not alone. Learn everything you need to know about ENM coding during an upcoming webcast. This expert guided webcast will showcase tips for providers to ensure appropriate capture of the work performed for a visit. Comprehensive examples will demonstrate documentation gaps and how to educate providers on the documentation necessary to appropriately assign a level of service. You will gain clarification on answers regarding emergency department and urgent care coding circumstances, as well as a review of how and when it's appropriate to code for ENM in radiology and more. The webcast is June 21st. Register now to attend. We continue our series here on Talk to Tuesday about the revenue cycle and reporting our revenue cycle, which is being sponsored today, of course, uh, all the time, actually, by Tia Tech is Susie Vestovich. Susie is the Chief Operating Officer for Tia Tech, and she offers some advice to hospitals to how to speed up the billing process because, as you know, uh, delayed billing is costing hospitals lots and lots of money. So with that, here's Susie Vestovich. Good morning, Susie. Good morning. Thanks, Chuck. And good morning, everyone. An alarming reality exists in medical billing. It can take up to two months to process a claim. Can you imagine the amounts of resources, time, and money that are wasted. And Chuck, it's not always the biller's fault. We've talked about how initial delays in medical billing can stem from factors beyond the biller's control. However, when an apparent completed claim is handed over to the biller, it is not uncommon for further delays to occur due to the sheer volume of incoming claims billers must handle. Though delays are common in medical billing, they, are, they come with significant costs, time, people, money. 
Let's take a look at some numbers to grasp the magnitude of the issue. One to two months is considered the average claim submission time. That's a lot. However, to paint a vivid picture from firsthand experience at Tiatech, we worked with a practice that discovered their average time was a staggering 110 days, close to four months. They managed to bring the biller's processing time down to one day by leveraging advancements in technology. Chuck, you're probably wondering, why does speed matter? Aside from cash flows disruption, which can make it difficult to meet financial obligations such as paying staff, leases, or purchasing supplies, it is estimated that delays in billing and reimbursement cause healthcare providers to lose up to 30% of their potential revenue. With one third of the revenue at stake, imagine the impact this has on the overall healthcare system. We're talking the potential of losing hundreds of billions of dollars each year. To put the claim quantities and revenue at stake into perspective, consider a bustling hospital with hundreds of patients coming through its doors every day. Each patient requires various medical services, from tests to surgeries. All of these services need to be billed and reimbursed properly to keep the hospital running smoothly. And the same applies to services offered by a practice. However, with delays in claim submissions, a substantial chunk of revenue is left hanging in the balance. Two things can happen at this as, as time goes on. One is the provider who performed the service may no longer be with the practice or hospital for whatever the reason and no longer able to answer questions. Therefore, the money falls off the table. The other thing that can happen is delayed claim submissions bump up against closed insurance submission windows. The more the delay, the, the higher the rejection or de denial rate due to errors in rush submissions or discovery of insufficient information last minute. When the submission window closes, revenue is lost. Now, let's talk about solution. The good news is the healthcare industry is not turning a blind eye to this issue. With advancements in technology and the rise of artificial intelligence, healthcare providers and billers are exploring automated billing systems that leverage machine learning algorithms to automate the submission of claims and track their progress. This helps billers process more claims faster, decreasing the chances of delays and increasing revenue. Additionally, electronic health record systems are being in, integrated with billing software, enabling real-time documentation and immediate claim submission. This eliminates the biller's need to duplicate data entry and reduces errors, speeding up the billing process. At Tia Tech, we saw that when our clients adopted the right technological solutions for RCM efficiency, they put money directly on their bottom line. Over to you, Jim. Thank you so much. That was Susie Vestovich, the Chief Operating Officer of Tia Tech in Detroit, Michigan. As many of you know, when we have a guest co-host, as we're doing this morning with Dr. Jim Kennedy, we ask them to share a point of view, a POV. Here now is my dear friend, Dr. Jim Kennedy, with his POV. Jim. Thank you so much, Chuck. I would like to talk about two things today. First is the coding clinic, second quarter 2023 that came out last Friday. I'd like to go over some of the uh, 
a synopsis of what was in that coding clinic. Second, I would like to discuss an article in the Journal of the American Medical Association last week from Johns Hopkins regarding the extraordinary cost of CDI in the quality arena. First, coding clinic, second quarter, 2023. This came out on June the 9th, 2023, and is official. It is effective. If you've not had a chance yet to look at the coding clinic, see if somebody in your institution has it or wait for it to come out in your encoding software. First, biochemically recurrent prostate cancer. These are patients who have an elevated PSA after a total prostatectomy. These can be coded as C79.9 secondary malignant neoplasm of unspecified site. If the physician has not yet stated the significance of the elevated PSA status post-prostatectomy, then the documentation needs to say biochemically uh, recurrent. If there's a biopsy of a metastatic site, such as a lymph node, that reveals a newly diagnosed primary malignancy, sequence the primary site first, followed by the metastatic site. Metastatic sites can only be primary when the treatment is is directed only to the metastatic site. If there is a peripheral vascular graft thrombosis, we can add an I-74.XX code, arterial embolism, in addition to the T82 code, which would serve as a CC with MSDRGs or an APRDRG SOI of three. I encourage you to consider that in your work. If a patient has chronic erosive duodenitis, that is coded as a duodenal ulcer, not duodenitis. If a patient presents with acute pancreatitis, and the pancreatitis is due to the gallstones, otherwise known as biliary pancreatitis, either the pancreatitis and they undergo a cholecystectomy, either the the gallstones or the pancreatitis can be the principal. There's been a number of denials uh, referable to the sequencing of this, uh, this uh, So this advice is not brand new. It came out first in Coding Clinic, second quarter, 1996, pages 13 to 15, yet payers have been sequencing the pancreatitis first because that eliminates the MCC. I think that you can now go to your payers with this advice and try to recoup some of your money. Uh, uh, other parts of this, if a thymus is, or I would say another organ, is removed during cardiac surgery. And the goal of the surgery was not to remove the thymus, or it was actually to enhance access to the operative site. The thymectomy is not coded. This is a, this supersedes coding clinic, third quarter, 2014, pages 16 through 17, uh, also, myocardial infarction with non-obstructive coronary arteries is coded as a type 1 MI if it's a non-STEMI I-21.4. To get a type 2 MI, 
the physician would need to say type 2 myocardial infarction due to non-obstructive coronary arteries and such. Last but not least, if there's an excisional and non-excisional debridement done on the same wound and the non-excisional debridement is deeper, that does not, uh, the excisional debridement supersedes the non-excisional debridement and should be coded uh, and 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 should be coded as such. Second, I just want to just bring to your attention uh, this uh, report from Johns Hopkins that was in the June 6, 2023 Journal of the American Medical Association. It emphasizes that Johns Hopkins spent $5.6 million in one year to address quality measures of which the majority of the costs had to do with claims-based measures. $3.6 million was used on personnel costs, and this does not include the half a million dollars of vendor costs that Johns Hopkins had to pay in order to address uh, coding issues. The only solution to this, in my mind, is the cooperating parties working to give the coders some leeway in order to make reasonable determinations of what the patient has based on the clinical circumstances without having to play the word game of queries in physician language matching exactly what's in the ICD-10 vernacular. So that is my point of view today. Thank you so much for allowing me to be with you. And we're so grateful for your participation today. Thanks, Jim, very much. That's an excellent topic, too, for your point of view. And, folks, that's going to be a wrap for our 557th live edition of Talk 10 Tuesday. And I want to thank our panelists today, Tiffany Ferguson, Laurie Johnson, Tim Powell, who was at the news desk, and Susie Vestovich, who reported our lead story. And, of course, a very, very special thank you to my dear friend, Dr. James Kennedy, who was sitting in this morning for Erica Reamer. And remember one more thing, folks. If you can't listen to us live, you can always listen to us on Stitcher, Apple, Spotify. And when you do, rate us. Give us a review. Until next Tuesday, I'm Chuck Buck reporting for ICD-10 Monitor and Talk 10 Tuesday. Thanks very much for joining us. Have a great week, everybody. Talk 10 Tuesday is a production of ICD-10 Monitor.